Welcome back to the program. From the undersea adventures of Jules Verne to Peter Benchley's The Deep to Jim Cameron's The Abyss, we flock to movies and literature that take place underwater. We're fascinated by, but know so little about, the underwater world. In fact, a recent review of my guest James Nestor's book reminds us that if something disappeared on Mars or the moon, we'd have a far better chance of finding it than if it disappeared in the world's oceans. The fascination gives rise to whole groups of people that seek to explore in new and different and sometimes dangerous ways. That's the backdrop of James Nestor's Deep. James Nestor is written for outside men's journal Dwell in the New York Times. He's a frequent radio contributor, and it is my pleasure to welcome James Nestor here to talk about deep, free-diving, renegade science, and what the ocean tells us about ourselves. James Nestor, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It is remarkable that we know as little as we do, although we certainly know a great deal, but as little as we do about what really is it's like on the ocean floors. Talk a little bit about that, James. Well, yeah, I had spent my whole life at the surface of the ocean, swimming, surfing, all that, and uh, this was the first opportunity I've had to actually see what's happening beneath the surface, see what's happening pretty deep down there. And uh, it absolutely blew my mind. I mean, there's so much, just as you were saying, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the ocean. And so much of these things uh, that are mysterious and just out of reach are within about, you know, 30 to 100 feet of the ocean surface. So they're accessible. It's just very few people take the time or, or effort to go down there and check it out. And why has that been the case historically? Well, I think in the past, um, you know, in, in 1960, we uh, dropped a sub down to the deepest ocean floor, 36,000 feet deep. After that, people just kind of thought, well, it's over. It's done. We've done that. Let's move on. Let's go and do a space exploration. Uh, there wasn't much to see down there. You know, the ocean, most of the ocean is perpetually black. And so you go down there with a spotlight, you look around, uh, there's some weird luminous orbs here and there, some starfish, that's about it. What people don't realize is the ocean is constantly, constantly changing. It's, uh, and, and it's always, always evolving in new and strange ways. And we're just sort of getting to understand that right now. And as you talk about, historically there have been groups of people that have really wanted to explore it and tried to explore it in many different ways, including these people that are exploring it by free diving right now. Yeah, uh, freedivers have been around for as long as recorded history. There's evidence that freediving cultures have been around about 20,000 years, 15,000 years. Uh, just a few hundred years ago, there were freediving cultures all over the world. Uh, reports of ancient sailors um, were that freedivers in Japan and the Persian Gulf and Sri Lanka, they were able to, to go down about 150 feet and hold their breath for 15 minutes at a time. So that gives you a pretty good amount of time to go down there and explore. Freediving was also used for, um, you know, uh, different, uh, the Vikings used to use it to help sink enemy ships. So this has been part of human culture for a long, long time. Just recently, with changes in technology, has it sort of gone away, and these guys are reviving it. And they're reviving it in ways that are no less dangerous. I mean, technology doesn't help them hold their breath longer, and, and certainly they're taking greater and greater risks. They are. There's two very distinct groups of freedivers. There are competitive divers who challenge each other to see how deep they can dive and come back conscious. And that group is, uh, <laughs> there are a bunch of, many of them are, are daredevils. And I, that was my entry into freediving is watching these guys and watching many of them come back unconscious 
this pretty frightening experience. And then there are recreational divers or divers who use this to uh, conduct marine research. And this is the group that I hung out with for the past 18 months, two years. And uh, there, it's a complete paradigm shift to what's going on with most other marine research, uh, what these guys are doing. Talk about what they're doing and really what kind of results it, it's rendering with respect to research, given how physically dangerous it is to do. When you scuba dive into the ocean, um, you're exhaling a, a gurgle of bubbles every few seconds. Same thing with the submarines, very loud, an ROV, which is a robot you put in the water with cameras. That's also very loud, too. So all the animals view you as a menace. Uh, one free diver told me that scuba diving uh, for research is like going bird watching with a leaf blower tied on your back. You're, you're just disrupting everything. Free diving is completely different. You're completely silent, uh, which means you can approach animals and interact with them uh, in a very natural way. And instead of swimming away from you, the animals approach you. 60-foot whales with 8-inch long teeth turn around, approach you, allow you into their pods. So these guys are getting access to these animals that basically no one else has gotten before. And in doing so, there, there are people that are holding their breath for 10, 12, 14, 15 minutes. Some have died as a result of this. The, those are the competitive divers, very different group. Um, but what they're doing is, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. They're really pushing the potential of the human body to new depths. Um, some of these guys can dive down to 300 feet. I've watched someone dive down 800 feet attached to a machine. Uh, again, a lot of them, they don't know the limit of the human body in the water, and they're willing to risk their life to find it. Um, and a lot of them are coming back uh, in pretty bad shape. I swore off competitive diving after you know, going to my second competition and just seeing some really, really gruesome stuff. I said, that's it. I'm going to focus on this other stuff, which to me has a much stronger benefit for people. And the ones that are doing it with respect to research, what kind of risks, what kind of chances do they take? How far are they pushing the envelope? Well, freediving can be a very safe sport if you take proper safety precautions. You never dive alone. You always stay within your limits, and you, you don't push your way into the ocean. That's how people get hurt. It's just kind of like yoga. Like, I can't imagine what a competitive yoga uh, you know, situation would look like. Uh, it sounds very dangerous to me. You, you have to accept freediving in the same way, and that's what these guys taught me. So they're able to very comfortably go down 100 and 150 feet and stay down there for minutes at a time. And when they do, again, there's this paradigm shift where animals come up to them because they think that they are part of the underwater environment, which essentially humans humans are in many ways. We're, mm. we're able to dive this way because we have the same mammalian reflexes as dolphins and whales. I know that sounds crazy, but this is science here. And what have we learned from these experiments? How much more have we learned about what's going on among these creatures under the sea as a result of these free-diving researchers? Well, we've learned that, um, and this is also going to sound uh, like it's verging on some New Age fantasy, but I promise you this is all real science, documented <laughs> stuff. Um, the scientists have learned in, in the past uh, decade or two that dolphins not only have first names, they have last names as well. Sperm whales have different dialects depending on where they come from in the ocean. And when you approach them free diving, these animals, again, they don't swim away. They start peppering you with their click communication. We know these animals are communicating. We just don't know what they're saying. And that's what this group of researchers is trying to figure out. 
what they're saying. There's no institutional money to, to check out, uh, you know, sperm well communication. There, there's no cure for hair loss, you know, 150 feet down deep in the ocean. But um, these guys are risking their lives to study these animals because they believe that they uh, have a form of communication, almost a language that could be more sophisticated than our own. To me, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Is there a technological breakthrough on the horizon that will allow these people to stay down there even longer in ways that still keep them silent, keep them basically from from not disturbing what's around them? There are devices called rebreathers, which clean the air that you exhale and allow you to stay down very long. Uh, The problem is those are uh, very dangerous as well. Um, Some people have figured them out. There's some good technology coming around right now that allows people to go down very deep. The, the big difference with free diving is free divers don't get the bends. So you can go down 200, 300 feet, and you can come straight up as fast as you want. You cannot do that with scuba. You will die. Your lungs will explode as you approach the surface. So free divers have much more liberty in the ocean. They're much more flexible, and they're much faster. And I don't know of any device that's going to allow divers to be as fast as free divers and allow them to stay in the water as long. One of the things you talk about is the feeling that these divers have, both the competitive ones and the ones doing research, this sense of being at one with the water. Yeah, it's a really amazing thing. This was something I had to check out. I wanted to research with these guys. I just didn't want to write this book from you know, uh, the prow of a boat. I wanted to get get in the water, research the whales, research the dolphins, the sharks, all that stuff. So uh, I had to learn to free dive myself, which was a pretty frightening experience, having seen all these competitors come up unconscious. Um, but once I figured it out, once I got the good visions of free diving in my head and got all those bad visions out, uh, it really, it's, it's unlike anything else I've experienced on the planet. Uh, what a lot of people don't know that at around 30 feet, your buoyancy shifts. It feels like gravity is reversing, and you no longer have to swim in the water to to stay down in it, but the ocean starts sucking you down effortlessly, so you can just glide down uh, without even moving, and it's a pretty interesting experience. Why is there not more respect for those that are studying by free diving among marine biologists and among other scientists that you get the sense from some of the things you talk about that this is looked down upon in some ways well a lot of people don't know what these guys are doing uh, and there aren't many of them doing it a lot of people would prefer spending their weekends watching tv or you know sitting on a couch but these guys spend all their free time out in boats like searching for dolphins searching for whales and trying to swim with them so i think that's the main thing um, there's just not a lot of public knowledge about these guys. Um, as far as how institutional researchers view them, uh, they view them as renegades. Some do, uh, not all of them. Uh, they view them as, as kind of cutting corners and breaking the rules. Uh, personally, I think that there's some jealousy involved. One guy in, the, in this island called Reunion, which is 400 miles east of Madagascar, in other words, in the middle of nowhere, has collected more sperm whale behavior data than anyone else on the planet. And he's done this on his off hours from working at a lumber store. So (laughs) that just kind of shows you, uh, you know, how effective their methods are. And hopefully there will be more people trying this discipline. What is the nexus between this and and the other kind of exploration you talk about in these little mini subs? Well, this is something that I think is super exciting. Uh, You know, just 20 years ago, the only way to get down 
1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, was to get in an institutional sub, um, you know, from either operated from a university or from some oceanographic uh, institution. But in the last about 10, 15 years, there's been a bunch of these little boutique submarine makers. And now the, the latest thing to have on your luxury yacht is a sub, and everyone has these, and these things are able to go 2,000, 3,000 feet. So for the first time ever, really, we're able to explore the ocean. Private citizens are able to explore the ocean, and, uh, and they're doing it and finding just some incredible stuff. I, I was able to ride in one of these down in Roatan, Honduras, because they're illegal to operate in the U.S., and went down there, and we went down 2,500 feet, and it's just a whole different world down there. Why is it illegal to operate these here? <laughs> well, uh, the one that I wrote in, uh, this guy made by hand. Uh, he started his first submarine when he was 15 years old. Uh, it's unlicensed. It, it's uninspected. Um, should something go wrong, uh, he could certainly be, be sued. Um, he, this is a guy who uh, majored in American history, and he ended up just getting fed up with how much submarines cost and built one for about a hundredth of the price it would cost to buy one. So um, he operates out of Roatan, Honduras, because no one really cares about those kinds of regulations down there, and he's able to do whatever he wants. And this guy is, is brilliant. It's brilliant what he's done. He's done 2,000 trips in this thing, and um, it's, <laughs> it's just quite an experience sitting in that and going so deep. Tell us what that experience was like. You talk about the, the initial plunge in it being terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first of all, imagine like opening the trunk of your car, if you have a small car, and then sitting in that trunk for about four hours, which is exactly what I did. It's a very small machine that he takes down. So you're scrunched up, your knees are in your face, your, your back is tilted up, and... Um, and the pressure inside the sub uh, is mo mostly equalized, but at times it, it shifts, so you're popping your ears. And uh, I, I had just experienced nothing like this. It's like a very, very extremely slow skydive uh, where you're able to meditate on what's happening instead of having things just pass. And um, you're able to, to penetrate in the ocean where there are the largest communities of life on the planet. So most, most life, the largest communities, is down here in these depths of perpetually black water. And so you're able to see something so few people have, have ever seen. And we're seeing animals that are unknown to science. He sees them every day he goes down to stuff no one knows about. What, if anything, is going to be a tipping point, do you think, in our exploration underwater? Is there something that is really going to ignite a, a broader interest and in more money being available to do this? I think these freelance guys are the ones that are really going to make a huge difference right now. I mean, there's so many great institutions doing amazing work, but at the same time, they're, they have to spend so much time filling out grant requests, I'm talking to other people, organizing trips. These guys literally grab a few Subway sandwiches, a couple of bottles of water, and take off for the day. And they're able to do that whenever they want. And so with the profusion of private submarines, um, with technology being so cheap, um, with this immediate access to the ocean's depth, I really think that the private sector, that these adventures are going to be discovering some, some really mind-blowing stuff in the next few years. What do you expect them to find? I really hope they figure out this dolphin-whale communication. I've dived with these animals. Sperm whales, for instance, are 
the loudest animals on the planet, and you feel their clicks when you're in the water. You actually feel them in your chest. This isn't some psychological thing. This is a physical thing. They're essentially scanning you inside and out like a CT scan. And, and again, this is real stuff that happens. So and their brains are six times the size of ours. They have neocortex, all that stuff. So they're extremely intelligent animals, and they've been this intelligent for 50 million years. So they know something. And they are communicating. We know that. We just don't know what they're saying. And I really hope that these guys are able to research them more and try to figure out what they're saying. How much is a lot of this interest driven by popular culture, popular entertainment that focuses on this realm? Well, I think some of it is. Um, you know, people see documentaries on PBS as underwater exploration. And, and, you know, a lot of people think, wow, I want to do that. But the difference is in, in the past, even 10 years ago, you couldn't do it. You just didn't have access to the machines and the technology. But today, you're, you're starting to. And these guys, for a few hundred bucks, can start doing some real marine research. Um, and so I, I think uh, the more people get interested in this stuff, I, I promise you, anyone that goes diving with dolphins and sperm whales is going to be interested in the ocean and what's down there the rest of his or her life. So I think it's all about getting the message out and getting people in the water to understand there's an entirely new universe down there we know nothing about. And that, to me, is really exciting. James Nestor, the book is Deep, Free Diving, Renegade Science, and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves. James, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. <laughs> 